Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Ken O'Brien. Ken O'Brien is the Chief Municipal Planner for the City of St. John's, involved with land use planning, rezonings, heritage planning, and environmental planning. He graduated from Munn in 1986 with a BA in Religious Studies and a minor in Math, having tried engineering first, then attended Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, graduating with a Master's in Urban and Regional Planning in 1991. He likes history and old buildings and is a member of the Canadian Institute of Planners. Ken O'Brien, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dale. It's nice to have you here. It's nice to be here. I was thinking this morning on the way here is I, I've known you a long time now. We have I, and I was many many think, years, uh, like fifteen years or so. I, yeah, I'd for say sure. At least you know, yep. and, I, and I think probably I don't know how we met, but I think we probably got to know each other through the uh, the Heritage Advisory Committee. I think so. I think that's yep. kind of how we, yep. we became acquaintances, mm-hmm. shall we say? Yeah. Um, so it's a delight to have you here on the show, and I, and I think to start off with, uh, we hear about planners, municipal planners, uh, all the time, um, but I think sometimes people don't really know what that means, like what a planner is. Uh, so maybe we'll start there. What is a, what is a planner, and, and what does a planner do? Well, good question. Uh, there's not a lot of planners in this province. There's probably seven or eight thousand across Canada. Yeah. But in Newfoundland, Labrador, maybe 30. Right. So not a large number. Most would work in uh, the public sector, provincial government, municipal governments like I do. Uh, Some are in the consulting world and do their work for clients, uh, public and private. What we do in terms of land use planning, the idea behind planning is to make best use of resources in order to solve problems or improve situations. That's at it is very broadest. So as a land use planner, my my job is to look at uh, the land base of St. John's to see where we have um, needs and try to meet those needs, whether we need maybe more commercial land, maybe we need more walkable neighborhoods. There may be neighborhoods where there's uh, not much public open space or park space. So you're trying to look always to the future. You you start with what you have, try to figure out where your deficiencies are and and how to best address them. Right. So it's a it's really kind of a problem solving profession. So how did you get uh, interested in that? Because that was you start off with religious studies, which I didn't know. That's, I did. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I, I was all over the map, really. Yeah. <laughs> I did religious studies at Mon. I had no idea what I was going to do. Most who do it, well, if you're not going in the clergy, which I wasn't. You teach, and I didn't intend to teach either, so I mucked around for a few years. I was a driving instructor for two years uh, after yes. one. Yeah, I knew that, yeah. And honestly, I was in playing squash at the squash courts here in the phys ed building one day, and I saw a poster for a land use planning program at York University, and I thought, hmm, what is that, land use planning? I had no idea what it was. Started looking into it, seemed promising, and here we are. Wow. So, um, so you did the program at, uh, up in Ontario, and yeah, at Queens, at Queens, yep. yeah. And uh, and so, what was that? So, what kind of stuff do you study as a as a student? Well, you would study um, the the layout of cities in terms of land use. Uh, there's a certain component of uh, we did um, a minor kind of a, a stream of human services planning. So you're looking at things like um, social income programs, social assistance programs charitable work, how volunteers can help the community. So there, there's a broader base than just land use planning. 
Uh, we looked at environmental planning, and one of the courses that I really liked was heritage planning, right. where we actually had to choose a block in Kingston, Ontario, research a house on that block, and uh, put together a history of it, and then talk with the property owners to see whether they were aware of their history. Now, the couple that I picked in the beautiful stone house, and they knew so much and provided me with so much detail on the house. It was great, you yeah. know, lovely people. Um, so you, you get a broad grounding. Most people you know, in planning would probably do it as a master's. You can do it as a bachelor degree at some of the universities in Canada, but most have a first degree, often in um, engineering or architecture or geography, and then go on to do planning. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I, you know, when I look back at the work that we've done with the Heritage Foundation, when I was dealing with with buildings, uh, you would you would sometimes meet people who didn't know anything about the house that they lived in, and and honestly didn't really care. You know, mm-hmm. like they, 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 they the house was something for them to sleep in and cook in, and then that was it. And then you would meet these other people who, like the people who lived in that in that stone house, knew everything about the history of the yeah. building. And I, and I still meet people who have done incredible research, you know, into the history of their of their houses. Um, it's something, honestly, that I, I think we at the Heritage Foundation uh, haven't put maybe enough attention on. We, we focus a lot on the architecture, but not enough maybe sometimes in those, you know, intangibles, the, uh, the social history of yeah. those, those buildings. But it's, I, I'm always fascinated by people, how people use historic places and why they use historic places and why they're attracted to those kinds of places. Yeah, people people approach things from their own perspective. One along those lines, uh, one of my brothers-in-law, who's great at carpentry, and I remember getting up into the attic space of a house, and the first thing that struck him was just the way the rafters were put together. It yeah. wasn't the typical way. So that was probably a, uh, a technique that's no longer used, but for him, he found that really interesting. Yeah. And I thought, gee, I'd never even notice it but but he did so if people approach things from their own perspective sometimes you can get a better connection with your heritage yeah so when did you start working for the city 20 years ago 20 years yeehaw yeah yeah so what year what year did you start so 96 1996 and that's basically when i started at the heritage foundation so i kind of had these uh, you know parallel the parallel yeah. yeah and i came from the city of mount pearl i'd worked there for a couple of years yeah and uh, so, of course, I was labeled as the mole for the first couple of years. <laughs> I was reporting back to the mayor of Mount Pearl secretly. <laughs> but seriously, uh, at the staff level, we always have good connections uh, and communication, particularly between adjoining municipalities. Because if you're doing something, if we were doing something in St. John's that's near Mount Pearl, we'd want the Mount Pearl planners and, and staff to know about it and yeah. vice versa as well. Yeah. Yeah. So looking back over that last that 20 year period, uh, has the work that you do changed or shifted in any way? Good question. Are you doing are things different now in the city? Not a lot. Yeah. That, uh, we still the bulk of our work is responding to development applications, rezoning applications. Yeah. The problem with planners across Newfoundland and maybe in other provinces, too, is that the volume of work is such that you don't always have time to lift your eyes up and look to the longer horizon. Mm. So a lot of times it becomes reactive rather than proactive, which is where we would want it to be. Yeah. Um, but that takes a lot of work, and um, sometimes it takes resources that we may not have, particularly time. Yeah. So in that sense, the work is very similar, that you're always trying to keep on top of uh, 
development applications keep things moving in a timely manner. That's often, I find, as a, as a bureaucrat, which I'll, I'll wear that label, part of it is that you keep the paper moving, keep people moving, don't let things stagnate, don't let things sit. Yeah. Yeah, especially because a lot of this is business driven. For sure, right? and time and time is money, is money for yeah, people, yeah. and you don't want to hold people up. Um, you want to get to their applications as quickly as you can and see where they fit into the bigger scheme. Yeah, we had um, we had Shane O'Day on the show uh, a while back, and and he was kind of giving the perspective uh, of uh, you know kind of the history of heritage in in the city of Saint John's and and beyond, but mostly in the city of Saint John's and how things have changed. Now Shane was doing work with the Newfoundland Historic Trust in the 1960s. And at that point, there really weren't heritage bylaws. You know, uh, things got uh, moving, I think, in heritage because they were reacting to things that were happening. You know, there was the threat that Christchurch and Kitty Vitty was going to be lost. There was a lot of activity around Atlantic Place, uh, which was a battle that <laughs> heritage didn't was. necessarily win, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. Yeah. But it but it did kind of move things forward. It did it did see you know the introduction of uh, more bylaws around heritage and and that kind of thing. Um, and you've seen the heritage kind of rules change uh, over the years a little bit. Like I know that the heritage districts have expanded and whatnot That's in right. the time that you've been there. Yeah, that was a pretty big project. That was that was uh, early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands when we looked at. Uh, where the heritage area sat, which was it was created in 1977, mm. so it was one of the first ones in Canada, if not the first one. I'm not sure if Gastown in Vancouver might have been a year or two earlier, right? But it was one of the early ones. It had been reasonably successful. We looked at should we expand the heritage area because there's a lot of older areas in, let's say, the Freshwater Road, Chess's part of town, yeah. and and going north away from the harbor, where fine buildings, uh, great old houses, many of which were approaching 100 years old, that weren't part of our heritage area. So we did do an expansion. And that was one of the first public meetings where we had it at City Hall, where people came, and there was a lot of people. There was certainly 50 or 60, and, and that's a pretty good turnout. And a lot of people stood up and said, you know, our street is just as nice as that street. Why can't we be in the heritage area too? And I was gobsmacked, like, Wow, holy moly, the people are actually seeing this as a positive thing. Yeah. Not everybody, not universally. But the expansion really went pretty well without a hitch. Uh, we had a few people call, would it affect their insurance for getting house insurance? But by and large, it was very successful. And that was a real treat to see because usually public meetings for rezonings and things can be. A lot of them go smoothly, but sometimes people are concerned, worked up, they don't like change, so yeah. they come and they they want to express their frustrations. And that heritage expansion, that was a joy. It yeah. really was. And I think, I think sometimes people perceive heritage... Uh, in kind of an antagonistic way like mm-hmm. they're like oh the city's telling me again what i can't do you know but the city tells people what they can and can't do all the time you know like there's noise bylaws there's all kinds of things that we that's true that we plan yeah. for yeah. yeah 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 so what do, you, what do you think the benefit of of heritage regulations are well the benefit if we feel that having old buildings can be a public good can help set the character of our neighborhoods can help us keep in touch with our history then um, then I think all the better that we try to preserve our buildings as much as possible in, our, in an original state or bring them back to close to original. Otherwise, um, would we be better off to just bulldoze large uh, areas of older neighborhoods and get fresh new houses? Mm-hmm. 
I don't think so. And I don't think most people who live in St. John's, whether they're aware of heritage or not, I don't think most people would feel that that's a good approach. Let's just bulldoze everything and start fresh. Yeah. We we don't want to waste what we have. Uh, it's, there's environmental reasons why we should keep what's been invested in terms of energy and maintenance and, and materials, wood and, and uh, glass and everything that goes into a house. So I think there is a public good in that sense. The other thing is that, um, yeah, um, in terms of putting restrictions in place, I, I'm not a great proponent of that. I do believe in freedom, yeah. that people should generally be free to do what they want as long as it doesn't harm anybody else. So in terms of putting things like zoning in place, well, that is aimed, again, at trying to achieve the greater good, to try to keep neighborhoods protected from you know undue intrusion, to try to allow businesses to flourish in business areas and 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 so on and in heritage the same way we're we're not just trying to say you can't do this and you can't do that we're trying to say look at all the good you have look at the wonderful buildings you live in let's try to keep them original and if we can do some give some advantages to people all the better and if there is a public good then then there should be some kind of public support right and can, can you think specifically? Are, are there have there been projects that have uh, you know kind of come across your desk that you that you look back on and say, okay, that was a good that's a good example of of planning uh, uh, planning success. You know? hmm. Yeah, let's see. One that just pops into my head is the Blue Drop Building. Oh um, yes, okay, right on. Um, so for people who don't know, that's this is on Prescott Street. Prescott Street, just yeah. up from Dockworth. It was an old warehouse um, that had seen its fortunes ebb and flow I guess over the years it wasn't in great shape but it was you know reasonably solid building and we had a, a proposal from the Blue Drop Learning Company to convert it to their new office space they uh, refurbished the building put on a glass front put a huge tree inside this uh, glass facade and it really uh, jazzed up the building um, and it's fantastic when you go by it really has a great street presence but it's respectful of the past because the old warehouse is still pretty much intact there yeah so that was a, a, a small but a very tangible one that that was a real success and people go by and even if they're not aware of heritage or anything i've had visitors come to the city we're walking along duckworth and they'll just look up and say oh what is that place right yeah. it looks a little different a little funky but yeah, it respects the heritage. I, I remember when that when that building opened, and that's been open for a while now. It that has was, been. That, that was, that was uh, when we had the doors open program. I remember one year that was one of the when it had just kind of been redone. We had that as one of the doors open uh, uh, properties where people got to go inside, and yeah, that glass atrium with the tree inside. Like yeah. people were fascinated to see that, and it, I think it does. It is a good illustration of how if you're kind of creative that you can take an old building and give it a new a new life and it really does add something to the neighborhood like they could have torn that down and put up a modern building easily yeah. and and I don't know if it would have been cheaper but it certainly would have been simpler yeah It'd just flatten the whole site and put up whatever you want yeah but they didn't and there was a, a property owner and an architect who were invested in the building that they saw the potential and realized it yeah I, I live in Georgetown neighborhood, and there there have been a couple um, uh, interesting projects that have happened up there. Like the on um, William Street, there was that building. There was an industrial building there right. that had been the vacant. King Warehouse. The, the warehouse yeah. had been vacant for years and years and years, mm -hmm. um, and it was really kind of a derelict 
building. And then it was kind of redeveloped as condos. And they did really kind of an interesting job. And they kept that kind of industrial look. Yeah. You know, the old Imperial Tobacco building, which was converted into condos as well. Like, I, I, I kind of like that industrial heritage. It's when we, I think sometimes when we think of heritage, we think of the lovely Second Empire or Queen Anne style. We think of Winter Home. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and those are beautiful buildings and they're they worth are saving. But, fine, graceful, large buildings. Yeah. But when we see some of these kind of more utilitarian buildings getting a new lease on life, that, that's that's exciting to me. And I love when I travel, I love seeing that kind of those kind of examples it is, of industrial it is. buildings. And sometimes too uh, we forget we, we think of the grand house and, and it has its place, but we forget about the simple everyday houses row houses downtown that aren't particularly remarkable but that's how St. John's grew and the majority of the population of St. John's grew up in houses like that yeah so we shouldn't forget that either just simple houses um there's nothing wrong with with keeping them people say oh you have to jazz them up and make them all pretty and fancy and put trims around that never existed yeah why do you have to They're, they were simple and solid and there's nothing wrong with that. One thing that has vanished, I was thinking about this the other day, one thing that has vanished uh, from downtown, which I kind of miss, um, as technologies have changed, I guess, and building materials have changed, the one thing you don't see as much anymore are the old St. John's storm doors. The old wooden doors. The That's old right. wooden doors. Yeah. Because people would have a, like their fine kind of, their main door, and then they would have an exterior storm door. And quite often they were double hinged. Correct. You could yeah. so you could kind of open up half the door and kind of sneak in if it was you know that's right. extra. My extra grandmother story. had one like that on Barnes Road. On Barnes yeah. Road. So yeah. I always think of her when I see those doors. Yeah, and we don't see them that much anymore because now people have you know doors have better seals and and they're made of more modern materials. But I that's, that's one right. thing that I that, that you know those tiny little elements of our past that I I do kind of miss the the storm doors. Yeah, yeah. There are a few here and there, but they're pretty rare now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk to you about, just in terms of the planning, I wanted to talk to you about the, the Planning Institute and the work that it does mm-hmm. at the Planners Institute. What is the, what is the correct title? The, um, well, the, the local affiliate is the Atlantic Planners Institute, right. Newfoundland and Labrador branch, and nationally it's called the Canadian Institute of Planners. Okay, so tell me about that, because I know you've been very involved with that for, for many yeah. years. Yeah. Well, the Canadian Institute really had its roots in the 1920s and um, was active for many years, went silent during the Great Depression but then emerged again uh, in after the Second World War and really got its legs. And when we started to see particular planning programs in universities, planning grew out of engineering and architecture, uh, but became, over time, its own discipline. In the Atlantic provinces, the API, which is the, the local affiliate of the national, started in, I think it was 1968, and um, a local man, Jack Alston, who's passed away now, a local planner, he was the first director of planning for the province, and he was the first president of uh, API, the Atlantic Affiliate. And uh, then in 1972-73, Newfoundland and Labrador Branch formed as part of API, and that was spurred by, like you mentioned earlier, by Atlantic Place. Oh, really? And it was from the activities of people like Shane O'Day and Chris Brooks, they were involved with a group called the Community Planning Association of Canada, which was really citizens more so than planners, but planners were involved, and then that helped spur the uh, the Newfoundland and Labrador branch to form. Um, and you you run a regular series called the Planners Plate. We do. So yeah. tell, what is that? The Planners Plate is a lunch speaker series on topics of interest to planners and other people. So it's a bit of continuing education for our members as well as a bit of outreach to people who might be interested in planning. 
so um, we'll have topics uh, we've had everything from um, uh, Dr. Karen Lee she's a community health specialist with the city of New York who happened to be here a few years ago we got her as a planner's plate topic we've had a lot on heritage planning we were lucky enough to have Jack Layton talk some years ago he was oh, yeah. in town as part of a cross Canada tour somehow um, one of uh, the local uh, NDP people got in touch with me at the time I was running the planner's plates wondered if he'd be a good speaker which he was and uh, and it was great like Sometimes these things fall into your lap, you yeah. know. Somebody with who uh, he was on Toronto City Council for years had a real interest in planning and in heritage, and so he could come and uh, and speak just off the cuff. He didn't have notes or anything, and uh, and could speak knowledgeably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how often do they run? We'll have them uh, every two or three months, yeah. and we've got an email list, uh, and we're always interested in adding to that if people want to yes, find been, out about it. I've been spammed by you more than once. Hey, yeah. and probably again. <laughs> probably will be. Um, and so if people want more information on that or the Planner's Plate series, how can they? where can they go? For Let's see. Info? The simplest thing, I guess, they could uh, contact me at work, okay. and uh, I can give my number is 576-6121. Or they can email me, K-O-B-R-I-E-N, K-O-B-R-I-E-N, at stjohns.ca. Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You, you mentioned, you know, kind of community. And, and I wonder, what, what is the role of community members or community organizations in planning? How can, how can community kind of help that process? It's an important aspect because the, the work of a planner is hopefully to achieve a, a greater public good. Mm. And the way you do that is not by just sitting in an office alone and... and uh, thinking of, uh, you know, outcomes, but actually talking with people in neighborhoods, in community groups. So it, it forms an important part of the planning process, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about what you were saying about you know, how planning is about kind of looking for uh, solutions to problems and kind of looking at what you have and then figuring out where you go, where you yeah. go next. Like, e- even in the work that I do, which is now kind of more intangible than built heritage, we're doing a lot of work lately with uh, asset mapping. You know, like mm-hmm. where we're going into communities and helping communities figure out what kind of resources they have. And those might be physical resources yeah. or they might yeah. be intangible resources and kind of plotting it out in the community and figuring yeah. out actually what they have. We, we did some work in, in Deer Lake and we're going to go back and do some more there. And someone said, oh, yeah, we don't really have heritage here. And I said, like, every community has every community has heritage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people, I think, are sometimes when they're in a community, when they're in a neighborhood, uh, they kind of take it for granted what the resources that they have. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it takes uh, uh, an outside perspective and it might not be an outsider. It might be somebody just going away and then coming back to appreciate with new eyes maybe what you do have in your own community. As an example, like um, planning is often associated with urban areas, but it can work in rural areas too. One thing that strikes me, I go to Marystown a lot because my wife is from there, and Marystown, like a lot of places, has traditional slide paths where you would go mm. way back with your horse and now with your skidoo in the winter to cut wood. And a lot of time, over time, these slide paths are being lost because they were just, it was just by common consent that people could go up through this field or between these two houses or whatever. Yeah. There might not have ever been a formal right-of-way on a map and so over time, those things can be lost. And to me, that's a simple thing that 
if you've got slide paths, why don't you map them and then see, do you have to do anything to protect them if people still use them? Yeah, why don't so. you protect them to make sure somebody doesn't put up a fence or put up a garage to block them you yeah. know, if it is a community resource? You know, I, I always find in St. John's, one of, the, one of the little quirky things that I love in St. John's are, are all the back alleys, like the mm-hmm. Carter's paths and the little entranceways uh, into kind of common areas in, in behind houses. Like yeah. that's, that's something that's very special about St. John's. And I don't know if, if anyone's ever really kind of mapped those informal routes yeah, through yeah, the city. Yeah, and person who you and I both know, Robert Mellon, local architect, mm-hmm. he uh, has done a lot of study of downtown St. John's, of how it's laid out, how the lots are really small and narrow. They're odd. They wouldn't make the cut if you were sure, starting yeah. fresh today, but that's what makes them great. And he talks about everything is higgledy-piggledy. And he says you, you he's invented, you know, only on paper, a higgledy-piggledy meter. Oh, so he can, okay, yeah. yeah, so he talked at a, a recent planning conference we had here about it. So he says, you know, you put up a photo of, um, you know, some place in a suburban area. The higgledy-piggledy meter is very low because it's all very uniform yeah. and laid out nicely. Then you t- put up a shot of, yeah, say Prescott Street, a block there, and you got weird-shaped lots and buildings on top of each other and little alleyways and cut-throughs, the higgledy-piggledy meter is high. And he says, when you get visitors from another place, when you come there, you want to see the higgledy-piggledy yeah. meter go wild because you want to see all these oddities that work, that work over yeah, time, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with them. I, I, when I take tourists around on the, on the haunted hike, one of the places that I love um, uh, taking people is like kind of Masonic um, terrace like Willicott's Lane in behind the Masonic yes. Temple, which is one of these great old laneways, and that's one of the oldest laneways in St. John's. Like that was a that was one of the original laneways that led from the harbor up to the fort at, at, at where the rooms is now, and it's kind of this little fossilized remnant of of an old life pattern in St. John's, and 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 tourists love it. And I've had locals come on the tour and say, "I grew up here, and I didn't know that that." laneway existed yeah yeah you can walk by it a, a thousand times and unless you cut in through you'll never see it yeah like i i live in georgetown and there's there are great little hidden alleyways there and pathways that you know the outsiders don't know but the mm-hmm. locals use all the all the time that's right yeah there's a great one I, I there's that fabulous pathway that kind of links up at the where circular road kind of curves up back towards Bonaventure Avenue. And right. There's that, there's that we call it, steep. and I, I grew up just yeah. a block from there, and right across from Molson's Brewery, and we always call it Christian's or Christine's Bank because there was a family named Christian that lived at the top. I didn't know that. Yeah, and that was originally on old maps. That was a road. That was a driving road, and then it was cut off from road traffic and just switch to pedestrian. I'm making a note of that. Christine's Bank. Christine's yeah, Bank. That's interesting, yeah. 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 And that's that's a, an interesting thing as well. Like when I'm doing asset mapping with people, we just did a, we just did a project in, in uh, Cupid's where we had mostly local seniors come out and map out place names and, and memories of where things were. And and I'm not everything gets written down. You know, no. like not everything is on a planning map or on a topo map. You know, there's all these little local names for local alleys and, and, and uh, great. We were talking the other day about uh, Fountain Spray. Oh, yes, the store. Yeah. <laughs> on <laughs> which, Military Road. Which, there's no fountain. There's no know? fountain. So <laughs> why do you call it the Fountain Spray? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a really, I think that's a really sign of, of, of a healthy community in a way. You know, like when people still tell stories about places and, and we have local names and local knowledge. I think yeah. that's really a really cool thing. Do you have a favorite neighborhood? Favorite neighborhood. Well, I grew up in Georgetown too, so that really is 
my favorite. I know all those areas pretty well. Yeah. And uh, did you have a favorite spot in, in let that me neighborhood? see? Probably the valley, actually, uh, what's formerly called Poplar Avenue Playground, yeah. which runs right down north of Empire Avenue. And the Elks Club is right there. Yes, so yeah. that was our place where we went to uh, go on the swings, go on the shooty shoot, play softball, play football. Uh, there was a when I was a kid, there was a, an area that was boggier than it is now, and so that would freeze up, and we'd go down and skate on it. You yeah. could skate in among the reeds right next to the Elks Club. Oh, really? Yeah. And we played street hockey all the time on the Elks Club parking lot till we'd be kicked out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the Elks Club's been there forever. You know, that's a great the, yeah. these institutions. That was a farmhouse yeah. originally. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, the building that was there, the farmhouse burned, I think, and the present building was built. Yeah. yeah. I've seen some changes to that neighborhood. You know, I've lived in that neighborhood for 20 years. And the one thing that I kind of lament is when I first moved into that neighborhood in 94, there were lots of corner stores. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and most and of them are gone. Are gone. Yeah. Yeah. The brewery's still there. You brewery's know, still there. Georgetown yep. Pub is still there. Yeah. yeah, and the brewery used to have, uh, when we were kids, they, they had a, a retail outlet on the side of the building. And oh, it yeah. had the, uh, you would step on the carpet and the door would open. So we called it the magic door, the Star Trek door. So we would go in all the time as kids and hop on the mat, the door would open. And then after, do this a dozen times when the guys would get out of here. <laughs> And we also learned to play tennis off the wall of the brewery, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, Ken, thank you for coming in. It's been great to have a chat. It's been great being here, Dale. And, and again, just if people want more information about Planner's Plate, they can contact you at the city. Yep. And, Email uh, address k-o-brine at stjohns.ca. Great. Thanks a lot. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ich underscore nl. Thanks for listening. <laughs>